and welcome to From the Frontline. I'm Hunter Combs in the studio once again with Dr. Peter Hammond to discuss serving the suffering. Now, coming up on this Sunday, we'll be uh, celebrating International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. That's the 14th of November. And so we want to discuss this with you, discuss uh, persecution, uh, both historically that's happened in the church, but also the persecution that's happening in the church today. So thank you for joining us, Dr. Hammond. This is such an important subject, and of course our mission has been focused on serving the persecuted from the beginning, so that's 39 years that we've been serving the persecuted. Well, Bill Bathman, he dedicates 67 years to serving the persecuted, and wow. uh, um, we praise God for this great heritage. And of course, Bill Bathman is not just my father-in-law, uh, but uh, also the chairman of the Board of Frontline Fellowship for 14 years. Hmm. Yeah, and so why why are we um, setting aside this time now to focus on the persecuted church? What's significant about November? Why would we uh, choose this time? And yeah, can you unwrap a little bit what we're uh, mm. doing here during this time? After the very worst war in history, the First World War, which ended at the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, 1918, the 11th of November was set aside as a day of remembrance to remember the many who had died. In fact, many cases, whole villages had lost all the men hmm. and uh, literally wiped out in the fields of Flanders and uh, around Ypres and just horrific battle scenes in the First World War. So many tens of millions of people died in the First World War. And as a result, that the Remembrance Sunday. Now, the 20th century has proved to be the worst century of persecution. Hmm. More Christians have died for their faith in the 20th century than in all previous 19th centuries combined. Wow. You know, we think of the Roman persecution under Nero, and that was, of course, a terrible time, and, and so many terrible things have happened. But, but actually, the persecution under the Bolsheviks in the Soviet Union, under the communists in Red China, uh, Mengistu in Ethiopia, Pol Pot in Cambodia, uh, all of these horrific persecutions have greatly eclipsed all other centuries of persecution. You know, you, you throw in the Spanish Inquisition, hmm. the persecution of Protestants in the Middle Ages, Fox's Book of Martyrs, to think that all that's dwarfed it by the 20th century, which has been the wow. worst century of persecution in the history of the church. Hmm. Although, according to evolution, man's meant to be getting better and better. better, and better yeah. But in fact, history does not bear this out. Hmm. Um, human nature is not getting better and better hmm. outside of the redemption and grace of God. And so to wake people up to the fact that the church is involved in a real war where Christians are suffering in many levels and even many dying for their faith uh, in, in the most terrific ways, sometimes tortured for Christ, it was seen as necessary for us to do something to help focus the church on the reality of the persecuted church. And so it was thought, because November was already set aside as a remembering those who've died in previous wars, that the church should in the same way be diligent about remembering those who have suffered and are suffering now as a result of persecution. So in a sense, it's, it's being able to take from the physical wars that we see around us, which we have memorials for all over the world, and we have memorial days, but that the church needs this for the martyrs. Hmm. And when you talk about this being the greatest century of persecution, um, are you talking about greater in number or greater percentage? Because obviously there's been a growth in Christianity. Could the greater number of persecution just be due to the fact that actually Christianity has really expanded and grown and now there's more Christians than ever before in history. And so now there's more persecution because more Christians, more um, 
being open about your faith is going to have more opposition. All those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Do you think it's greater just numerically or greater in percentage-wise? It's actually greater both, both numerically and percentage-wise. So, for example, according to missiologist Patrick Johnson, uh, he has calculated that throughout the 19th century of the church, from the 1st century to the 19th, 28 million Christians died for their faith. Mm. That's not cutting people who suffered in other ways, but, but were killed for their faith. In the 20th century, 42 million have been killed for their faith. Mm. And that's in one century, one century. So wow. uh, if, you, if you look at it numbers-wise, obviously it's, it's almost double, but if you're looking at percentage-wise in terms of, well, yes, if you're to spread out over each century, but the fact is this has been compressed into one century Hmm. Almost double the amount of people who've been killed over nineteenth century. So wow. this, uh, and it's it's also in terms of intensity. There's been some very sadistic persecutions of the church over the the years. But uh, what's gone on, in, especially under communism in the twentieth century, has sadly eclipsed even all that. Hmm. So what are some of um, what is some of the persecution that we've seen in this twentieth century and. Um, yeah, what would be some of the insights you have mm. into that persecution that we've seen in the church? Well, you take, for example, Behind the Iron Curtain. Uh, it started out with the Bolsheviks in 1917 targeting Christians and uh, murdering them, such as the Russian royal family, the entire Russian royal family, from uh, Tsar Nicholas and his wife and their four daughters and son. I mean, just absolutely sadistic um, savagery. And soon... They had butchered a large amount of church Christians, demolished a lot of churches, and then they rounded up all the ministers, 95,000 Orthodox ministers, put them in the Arctic island of Solovetsky in the White Sea in the Arctic Circle where you get six months' night, for example. And there they systematically shot all 95,000 ministers. Mm. So they, they murdered literally the entire pastor, starting with the Metropolitan, uh, the Patriarch, the head of the uh, Orthodox Church. And then as they got control, they started to use other kinds of pressure, such as, well, unless you become a member of the Communist Party Youth, you can't go to high school. Mm. First was university, later they even made high school. And so the children would be under tremendous pressure to put on the red scarf, become an atheist, and to become a Communist Party Youth. Mm. And so they, were, they would be depriving Christians of advanced education and therefore advanced careers. And they were you know, level of street sweepers and laborers because uh, you, Christian, we won't give you extra education. Sort mm. of uh, shades of what they're trying to do in Australia right now, mm. uh, where if you don't get the vaccination, you won't have access to education, right. food. And so just that kind of pressure. Uh, and then there would be other sorts of ways that they would um, really penalize you. And make it harder and harder and harder and economically mm. pressure you. So, for example, um, uh, friends of Lenora's in Eastern Europe and Romania, uh, when they got converted, uh, they lost their home. They lost everything. On the very Sunday that Lenora, my wife, was baptized, and she wanted to be baptized in Romania amongst her friends, for whom it was a matter of life and death. She felt like baptism in mm. the West was more of a ceremony, not as much of a... I'm burning my bridges and, you know, no turning back, praise the Lord, um, mm. no turning back. Oh, and there were a large number of young people baptized at the same service. I think there's something like 70 of them. And Lenora was the second in line. Well, 
At the same time, she was, and everyone gave a test me first. You can imagine how long a service that was. These are great celebrations there, but that's how fast the church was growing. And this is one of the biggest churches in Romania at that time, several thousand members. And as uh, this one woman was giving a test me, people start to weep all around the church. And so uh, it was explained to Lenora what had happened, that this young woman stood up and said, this morning, my husband came into the room and put a knife to my throat and said, if you get baptized today, I will kill you. Mm. And she explained that five male members of the family were communist party members, including father, uncles, brother, husband. And they'd mm. all threatened her, do not get baptized, because it was seen very much um, that the, uh, the Baptists in mm. Romania were called the repenters. That was the term mm. of derision used by the communists, wow. the repenters. They understood, you know, you can just hang around and attend church. Yeah. But when Doesn't you get baptized, anything. that's very serious. That's the breaking point. Mm. That's, and at that point, it was you get baptized, you will lose your job, you will lose your house, all these different things. And so her husband, Communist Party member, puts a th knife to his throat and says, you get baptized or I will kill you. She testifies to this and goes ahead and was baptized. Now, I mean, everyone is weeping in church because they knew that he's serious. And this is, these mm. are serious things. Well, the pastor, Paul Negrut, a good friend of ours, he went to the home afterwards with her to speak to her husband. And the mm. husband was shattered because he knew that she knew that he meant it. Mm. And he has led to the Lord. He has converted. Wow. And he lost his home. He lost his job. He lost his position of party, all because his wife was converted and baptized. And they had to move in with a family and church who was already overcrowded. I mean, housing was always at short supply there. So, I mean, this just gives you a bit of an inkling as to there's personal sacrifices involved in serving mm. the Lord. And there was always consequences. The Marxists tried every kind of pressure on the people. And, and uh, just uh, <laughs> to show you the kind of resistance, after Yuri Gelin, the first cosmonaut to go into outer space, returned, uh, they made a big propaganda thing of it. And they sent him on a tour propaganda tour of the schools in Russia. Mm. I've been into the heavens and I can declare to you there is no God. <laughs> now, um, considering the incredibly small area of space that the cosmonauts covered between the moon and, and the mm. earth, um, and considering how vast mm. the universe is, that seems ludicrous. But still, yeah. <laughs> some brave girl at one school stood up and said, but comrade, the Bible says only the pure in heart will see God. <laughs> and you could just imagine the devastation of some of these uh, commissars. Um, another case in Russia uh, was after the commissar had given a whole atheistic presentation for over an hour. He asked, uh, you know, he totally proved there's no God. Mm. He asked, does anyone have anything to say? And one student stood up and shouted out, Christus unviat, Christ is risen. And the entire assembly resounded, he is risen indeed. Hmm. The man sat down. You could just imagine the, the commissar must have been boiling. Hmm. And there were doubtless consequences for that school. But, but this is the kind of resistance. And it was all kinds of ways. They would, they would put pressure on you, less rations, less ration cards, hmm. um, losing opportunities, losing jobs. But that's one form of persecution. When the Marxists are really violent and vicious, uh, you understand what they're trying to do. But I had it explained to me by friends who had suffered in Angola. And they said, there they were in this concentration camp being tortured by communist MPLA and Cubans. And one of them, they were literally in a pit on the ground at the lowest point in this camp where all the mud and filth and sewage flowed into. 
so in this pit with with bamboo type planks and, mm. and thorn bushes above, and so totally open to elements, just everything rains in and uh, squalor, and now and then they'd be pulled out and hung up and tortured and so on. Well, one of them cried out one day and said, why don't you just kill us and get it over with? And the response of one Cuban was so insightful. Oh, no, he said, we don't want to kill you and send you to heaven with God. No, we want you to curse Christ hmm. and come to hell with us for all eternity. Now, that gives you an insight because mm. communism doesn't gain a victory by killing Christians because... Mm. Jesus is the resurrection life. Death yeah. for a Christian is not final. It's not fatal. You do not kill Christians by sending them to meet the Lord in heaven. And similarly, burning buildings, well, the church isn't buildings. That's mm. where the church meets. The church is people. Mm. People redeemed by the blood of Christ and regenerate by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, the outward persecution, it doesn't actually represent a victory for Satan. Mm. The purpose of these is to intimidate Christians into keeping quiet, mm. not witnessing, not evangelizing, to intimidate us into silence or compromise, or even maybe into apostasy. Mm. And so this, I believe, is the goal of, of persecution. Don't think of persecution as being the goal to be burning buildings and killing Christians. Mm. Those are sometimes tools used, but their primary goal is to get Christians to back down to be intimidated, to give up, to give into a spirit of fear, to stop evangelizing, stopping witnesses, to stop fulfilling the Great Commission, then Satan wins. Mm. But as long as we resist and pray and evangelize, then we are winning. The kingdom of God is advancing, and those servants of Satan who are trying to persecute church are losing. Mm. So you've mentioned <clears throat> pretty in-depth and some good examples and illustration of sort of the Marxist persecution. So see Clearly, there's been a lot of persecution under Marxism, communism. Um, would that be <clears throat> kind of the greatest persecutor? Are there other serious threats during this uh, or during the 20th century that we saw in persecution up to today? Um, I mean, I think a lot of Christians today think of Islam and a lot of the very radical Islamic countries and how that can uh, cause unending suffering and persecution to believers. Um, but even, I guess, looking historically throughout church history, even from the time of uh, Muhammad coming on the scene till modern day, in many ways there's been fewer persecution in number uh, under Muslims than there has been under Marxism, it seems. Is that is that the case? That is correct. There are times of intense persecution by Islam, but generally speaking, Islam has tried to pressure Christians into renouncing their faith. And they do it by jaza, uh, tribute taxes, where Christians are taxed vastly more than any Muslims. In fact, in many countries, only the Christians would get taxed, the Muslims mm. wouldn't. And uh, one way to get out from this tax burden is, well, renounce your faith, become a Muslim. Mm. So there's all kinds of economic benefits uh, if, you, if you renounce your faith. Uh, for example, even today in Egypt, you can get pretty free education if you're Muslim, but not if you're a Christian. Mm. And so you can just imagine for many people, if, if, if Christ is not all, they could be tempted to, oh, you know, for a good education, for this and that and so on. And uh, the, the pressures. Uh, but in um, sometimes Islam has been extremely violent. And um, mm. uh, we know that today probably the greatest single persecution against church is in Islamic regimes. And yet it's not only Islam. There's also Buddhism. Uh, in Burma, uh, Christians are suffering under the Buddhist military dictatorship. The Karim Christians, who were first brought to Christ under the first American foreign missionary, uh, Adoniram Judson, Adoniram mm. and Ann Judson, went in 
1813 to Burma and did phenomenal work there, translating the Bible into uh, Burmese. And mm. uh, by the time that uh, Adnan Judson passed into eternity, there were 100,000 baptized Korean Christians, something wow. like 100 churches. They had the New Testament in their language and uh, dictionaries and, and all mm. of that done uh, by him. Uh, phenomenal work. And today the Korean Christians are an island of Christianity, the Sea of Buddhism, suffering mm. some very violent persecution to this day. Wow. And then you get Hindu persecution. Sometimes the Hindus have done some horrific persecution of Christians. And uh, one example is of the Australian missionary and uh, his two sons who were burned alive by a Hindu mob mm. out of just a, a rampaging rage. Uh, and uh, th this, uh, this does happen. So it's not just communism. It's not only Islam. Those are the two biggest persecutors of the church historically and contemporary. Uh, but we get other sorts. Now, what I think m more and more people are beginning to see as well is secular humanism has got a way of persecuting mm. Christians. Hollywood different, yeah. uses blasphemy and uses rewriting of history to often demonize Christians and blaspheme God and pervert Christianity and where the minister and the Christian is often portrayed in the most negative light possible. Mm. And there's, whether they use comedy or satire or uh, just um, stereotyping, uh, you can see that there is a, a desire through Hollywood in many cases to break down Christianity or respect for it. Mm. Uh, then you start to get many secular universities. You can lose your position in university uh, as a lecturer if you believe in intelligent design or creation. Mm. And the God's Not Dead films have shown us some scenarios which are documented that, you know, these are not fictional. These are actual cases that hundreds of different uh, students and staff mm. lecturers have faced where they've lost their position in university or lost the chance to graduate or to get jobs or uh, there's there's mm. a range of forms of documents that's like um, expelled, no intelligence yeah. allowed, which is actually a secular uh, film. Mm. Um, but nevertheless, it, it gives you an excellent insight into the persecution, the, the discrimination that's being targeted against creationists, those who believe in intelligence design and Bible-believing Christians. So mm. atheism, secular humanism, is worming its way through many jobs and positions. And even right now, we can see this vaccination uh, mandate, the COVID cult, lockdown lunacy, masquerade madness, salvation by vaccination mm. uh, cult, is being used as another way of persecuting Christians. So, for example, in Zimbabwe now, you get military bursting into churches with their assault rifles, battle gear, webbing, and dragging people out of church and beating them up because they came to church without vaccination cards. Mm. Now, isn't this great? We're not persecuting church just as our concern for their health. You know, that's why we're hitting them over the head with rifle butts um, and prodding them with bayonets. And you know, so uh, we've seen, and this is amongst Hindu countries, Buddhist countries, mm. communist countries. They're using this COVID cult as a wonderful excuse for mm. persecution, but they can now put it under some form of public health. So today, you've got a lot of pressure, and then you see these governments, such as in Victoria Province of Australia where they're forcing everyone to get the vaccination. Now, those Christians have got moral, conscience, ethical reservations. And, for example, saying, well, I'm pro-life, I'm against abortion, and these vaccines, drugs produced by Pfizer, AstraZeneca, Johnson Johnson, contain aborted baby mm. fetal tissue. And as a pro-life Christian, I cannot in good conscience take part in something that's, that's been developed in using aborted babies. Now, 
There's no place for religious exemptions. Mm. We don't care about your conscience. You must submit or else you lose your job. You can't study. You can't travel mm. and so on and so forth. And it'd be that straight saying uh, you, will, you will not have any freedoms if you don't take the vaccination. We can take your freedoms away from you. Quote, mm. unquote, from dictator Dan, the premier of Victoria State. So you mm. can see some places are using this as a, a, a weapon to bludgeon people over their conscience and also to they're calling it the great purge in America where through the vaccine mandates given by pre, pre, president or president resident uh, Biden, mm. uh, there are whole companies and government related corporations and subsidiaries which are getting conservative Bible believing Christians out of the positions just by saying you've got to have the vaccination or we'll get rid of you. And generally speaking, it's, it's conservative and uh, Bible believing Christians who will refuse because mm. of conscience issues. And uh, therefore, they are now able to fill all those positions with people who are more statist, more in approval of totalitarian, mm. top-down statist views. So this is what we've seen amongst communism all over the world. They try to penalize you. In one sense, they're incentivizing you to apostatize. Mm. And then they are penalizing you if you don't. Mm. And some people will stand firm, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and others will fold. And uh, this is the sad thing. But if people could just recognize we're in a war, this is a spiritual war. It is what we read about in Ephesians 6, uh, principalities and powers. But also when you think of 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5, speaking about uh, we take every thought captive, make it obey Christ. That, uh, we are involved in a war, but we don't wage our war as the world does. You know, this, this is not a matter of violence. We are using prayer preaching, persuasion. Uh, we're involved in using the gospel as the power of God for the salvation of mm. everyone who believes. Uh, this isn't a war in terms of us wanting to kill our enemies or mm. injure them. It's a war where we're seeking to win our enemies to mm. Christ through evangelism and through prayer and seeking the grace of God in their lives. So it's it's a different type of war, but it's definitely a war. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. So <clears throat> I think it seems interesting that throughout Scripture you see sort of this theology of persecution, this theology of suffering, if you will. Uh, all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And as Jesus was facing the cross, and many times he would tell his disciples, take up your cross and follow me, uh, unless you're willing to die to yourself, you're unworthy to be my disciple. Um, and I think of John 15, how he says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as, as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So <clears throat> in some ways, I think persecution, when I've, I've talked to one of my friends from Eritrea, and uh, he talked about the persecution that happened under Marxist governments there and how actually persecution helped really weed out the false believers. It helped mm. see who the true believers are. And he said, in some ways, you have greater um, danger in times of prosperity than you do in times of persecution, spiritually speaking. Um, so do you think there's a place in the life of a Christian for persecution? Obviously, we're not looking to go and be martyrs or anything else, but um, do you think that it's used by the Lord to sanctify his church, to sanctify his people? Oh, it is. I mean, even gold which perishes is tested by fire, we read in the, mm. in the letter by Peter. And, and definitely uh, we've got to expect our faith to be purged, to be purified, to be prepared, to be more prayerful, to be more powerful. And yes, crisis can 
refine and shape our character. And there's a lot of rough edges that need to be mm. rubbed off all of us to different degrees. And yes, I think it's just so important for us to to recognize this fact that the aim of persecution is not to kill Christians. That's that's not a victory to the kingdom of darkness uh, when Christians go to heaven. The aim is to intimidate us into silence, mm. to persuade us to compromise, to terrify Christians, to give in to compromise and cowardice. If the devil cannot stop us being converted, he at least tries to divert us and distract us so that we're not effective in fulfilling the Great Commission. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing, and that is to win souls to Christ, to make disciples, teach obedience. As long as you refuse to be intimidated into silence and refuse to be neutral and refuse to compromise, then the persecutors fail. And, you know, Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, hmm. take up his cross, follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses life for my sake will find it. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Mm. What can a man give in exchange for his soul? Joseph Chan, a good family friend, is a wonderful missionary and uh, pastor in Romania. Uh, he said uh, to us that uh, in the West, you have a theology of prosperity, but in the mm. East, we have a theology of suffering. Mm. It is a privilege to suffer for Christ. And then he said, we are God's army of lambs. Mm. Yeah, and that's such a different way than we often think in our Western context. We think... If anything hard is happening to me, I must be somehow being punished by God, or maybe I'm under the discipline of the Lord. But in some ways, well, of course, the Lord uses all sorts of things to discipline us, as a loving father does to his children. But in many ways, it's it's to be expected. Uh, a lot of these things you were mentioning about, um, just under Marxism and communism, and even under these current um, restrictions that we're facing as as people in all countries, do you think that's targeted towards the church, or is that just a general sort of... Um, quieting of people in general is it is it targeted to the church or is this sort of just a hardship that most people have to face that it's freedoms being taken away or is it maybe both it is both because there's no doubt that that there's a globalist agenda the globalist agenda is as is well put in revelation 13 a one world government a one world economic system a one world interfaith religion and that's a globalist goal and there's some people who think that's a wonderful goal and they they love the Fauci, ouchy, and the uh, one-way uh, world. Uh, they, they think salvation by vaccination is a great idea, and they believe in the masquerade. And, and they think central government should be telling people whose business can be open, how it can be open, and whether you can attend church or not. And so there are definitely those who, who follow that and others who resist it. And that's not only Christians. And so we do find allies across the board in, in other religions too who say, no, this is the wrong way to go. So in a sense, many of us are suffering because we oppose globalism or because we oppose totalitarianism or statism and this top-down tyrannical where the government thinks they can run your lives to the extent that they can tell your child in primary school to wear a mask all day mm. or that they can say that you've got to put an experimental, potentially dangerous, toxic substance in your body and you've got no right to disagree. So uh, many of these things are, are across the board. It's not specifically targeted Christians, but it probably hurts Christians more proportionally than any other section of society hmm. because we're more likely to be, especially Protestants, uh, hmm. more likely to say, my conscience has kept the word of God. No, we will not bow. Our hmm. God and we serve is able to save us, and he will. But even if he doesn't, we still won't bow before he idols, hmm. nor will we serve your God. So that that is part of it. But I think there are people like the government of Zimbabwe who are using this as a deliberate way to attack the church. 
why on earth would you need soldiers, for goodness sakes, as opposed to medical professionals, mm. to go into church during a service and start beating people up because they apparently don't have vaccination? So ostensibly, because we're concerned for your health, we're going to hit you over the head with a rifle butt. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's really going to help. It's not very constructive. Uh, no, exactly. So uh, I think some of this is transparently, uh, there's another agenda behind it. And when you see that uh, churches are limited to a, a percentage capacity, but interestingly enough, taxis can have 150% capacity, mm. aircraft can have 100% capacity, but a church, they, now really, I mean, is this about mm. health or is this about something else? Um, but it's not only that, there's, there's a vindictiveness. And when you think of why would they need to crucify pastors? Why would they need to uh, burn churches in the way that's being done? There's so, uh, just some of my examples of being involved in serving the persecuted. Uh, first test me as I was hearing in Angola as we began our mission 39 years ago, going across the border to help the persecuted church. And Marxists would take a Bible off the pulpit, throw it at the door and say, you can all leave. Just spit on the Bible as you go out and you can go free. If you don't spit, we'll kill you. What's this got to do with it? I mean, you could just see that anti-Christian mm -hmm. hostility. And local Christians said, you know, whoever seeks to save his own life will lose it. But whoever loses life for my sake will save it for life eternal. They have done so many persecution of the church tactics, like coming into a church in Angola, saying, oh, you worship the lamb, the blood of the lamb. Well, here's a lamb. They bought a lamb and chopped its head off mm. with a machete, spread the blood over the people, saying, the blood of the lamb is spread amongst you. You sprinkled by the blood of the lamb. And then they put the lamb's head in the altar and said, come, worship the lamb. They dragged people, forced them on their knees, smeared blood on their faces, stuck guns in their necks, and then said to them, you've committed idolatry. You've commit the unforgivable sin. None of you can ever be saved. You're all going to go to hell. You'll come to hell with us for all eternity. They didn't hurt anyone that day. They just want mm. to come and mock. But I mean, here you can see the, the heart and soul of the persecutors. They're serving Satan. I mean, this, this is, mm. it's so malicious. There's no logic behind it otherwise. Mm. And just to give you the kind of feel for, for this, this kind of hostility, one of the people that Bill Bathman introduced me to in Eastern Europe was Brother Nikolai Moldovano. Now, Brother Nikolai Moldovano is a legend in Romania. He's a good personal friend of Richard Wormbrandt, who wrote Tortured for Christ. Well, Nikolai Moldovano was one of the greatest musicians. In fact, when you go to churches in Romania, you probably sing one of his hymns. He wrote mm. thousands of hymns, many hundreds of which he composed in solitary confines. Now, Brother Moldovano was such a wonderful pianist, the communist took a hammer and smashed every bone in both hands. Mm. So all his fingers were broken. He relearned to play the piano later with his mangled... When you shake his hand, it's like shaking an eagle's talons. It's mm. really... Uh, they contorted. And uh, uh, it it's feels almost terrific. But, but the man is such a joyful man. Now, imagine his discipline. Uh, he would compose uh, in his cells hymns of faith to the Lord. Now, remember, he had no musical instrument, no Bible, no books, no paper, no pen. Mm. And yet he was able to store up in his memory... Hundreds of wonderful hymns that now form our hymn books of Romania, composed in solitary confinement and under torture. Uh, Nicola Moldovano, such a, at one point they were they were saying every time you sing, we will beat you. And so his testimony was, you know, I I sang to the glory of God. They beat me. They were happy. I was happy. Um, <laughs> and uh, at one point they. Uh, they beat Brother Moldovano on lying on the ground, they were whipping him. And when he finished, when they finished, he said, "Can I 
sing to you the hymn that God just gave me while I was lying on the floor. And he sang this, and Richard Vaughan was there said, oh, please put him back on the floor and whip him some more if that can produce such wonderful hymns. And the comics just gave up and walked out. Now, these are all documents by Richard Vaughan in his, in his books. And Nikolai Moldovano's uh, hymns now are being sung throughout the thousands and thousands of Baptist churches in Romania and many others too. But this shows you not only the character of the persecutors, but the character of the persecuted. And it's exactly as I said, God is refining the faith. And we're getting something very beautiful in the persecuted church. Now, praise God, there's religious freedom in Romania now and has been for the last 31 years, thankfully. And in Russia and in Ukraine and in uh, all of Eastern Europe, we see phenomenal religious freedom. And we can see communism failed. Mm. In 70 years in the Soviet Union, all their atheism and all their communism failed to intimidate the church to give up. And today, 80% of the population of Russia are baptized members of the Orthodox Church. That's not counting the millions of evangelicals, Protestants, and others Mm. in in Russia too. So atheism's failed in its heartland. Mm. And it will always fail because Jesus Christ is building his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But the key thing to me was, when I started going across the border, serving the persecuted church, the people would always ask questions like, do the Christians back in South Africa pray for us? Yeah. Or do the Christians in the West pray for us? And someplace, do the Christians in America pray for us? And in the early days, I had to say, I'm afraid they don't know you exist yet, but we will change it. Yeah. And it's been so wonderful to see over the years that they know they're not alone. They're not forgotten. And when I've taken back books like Faith and Defiant Sudan to the friends, Christians in Sudan, they've been so ecstatic to see you know, their pictures, their stories, their mm. testimonies, and to know that it's getting out and wide. And Bill Batham's books going through and going on, mm. um, and my books on Killing Fields of Mozambique and Holocaust and Rwanda, these were written to speak up for the persecuted and to mobilize more prayer and pressure on behalf of the persecuted church. Our Lord Jesus said in Luke 18, even an unjust judge will do what is right in response to persistent prayer and pressure. And he gives a testimony of the persistent widow. Now, he says, you should always pray and not give up, which means if we're not praying, we've given up. Mm. Uh, we should always pray and not give up. Now, even though this unjust judge did not fear God, nor did he care about man, yet because of the persistent prayer of this widow and her pressure, prayers to God, pressure on the politician. Prayer and publicity provide protection for the persecuted. Mm. As uh, Ronald Reagan said in the first time as an American, I heard him speak at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention, Ronald Reagan said, politicians never see the light until they've felt the heat. Mm. Make sure you keep the heat up on those characters in Washington, D.C. And so uh, when you look at Luke 18, that's it. Prayer and pressure, publicity provide protection for the persecuted. We must not forget the persecuted. We must speak up for them. We must mobilize prayer and support for them. And that's why IDOP was launched, International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And for over 30 years, Frontline Fellowship's been promoting this. And we particularly uh, handled the IDOP Africa, uh, the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church Africa, which is IDOP-Africa website, to be able to mobilize people to understand the needs, the news, what's going on, give them resources in order to be able to mobilize our prayer fellowships, our schools, our churches, uh, in order to give focused spiritual warfare on behalf of the Persecuted Church. Mm. Yeah, so if you're listening to this and you're wondering what you can do for the persecuted church, that's certainly a very good starting point is prayer. 
to pray for the persecuted church. And this upcoming Sunday is a great opportunity to do that, to set aside this Sunday as your church, maybe a small group, maybe a community group in your church that you can say, no, we want to come together and we want to pray for people throughout the 1040 window, throughout this part of the world that we see so much persecution, so much suffering. Um, so you can certainly begin in prayer. Obviously, there are other things we can do. People can be sent as missionaries into uh, these closed access countries to reach people for the gospel's sake. I mean, that's a huge thing we can do. We can pray. Uh, we can go. Uh, what are some other things that we can do, how we can serve the persecuted mm. church as we think about that today? Well, one of our longest standing projects is Boxes with Love. So we put together shoe boxes or some box where we put a whole lot of good things to take through to prisoners, pensioners, pastors, people in great need in Zimbabwe, for example, which is our immediate neighbor to the north just across the Limpopo. And these boxes with love, we've been actually taking these since 1982. So it goes back a long way. And uh, particularly being focused on the pensioners who are suffering a lot. And many of these pastors who, I, it, it's, it's a hard thing. Many of them have to do other jobs in order to be able to survive, to keep going, and to bring in things. So what we put in the box with love is everything from toiletry equipment, some medical things, uh, foods that aren't going to uh, uh, be um, perishable, uh, you know, tins and, and salt and soap and rice and a whole lot of good things. And then uh, we, we hand these over. So we'll take these boxes of love and give them over. And sometimes people make up their own boxes of love and maybe put a card or let in mm. that uh, we can deliver to some family uh, of a, a, a pastor that might be in prison uh, to care for them or some pensioners are suffering. So uh, that's something very tangible and practical we can do. Of course, mobilizing prayer. And then there's pressure. So, for example, the first time I was locked up in prison, Lusaka Central Prison, 1987, under Kenneth Kohinda, who was the one-party dictator, hmm. uh, the only candidate um, <laughs> of the one-party unit-run uh, Zambia where he made socialist humanism national policy. Well, in the prison cell, which was severely overcrowded and harsh conditions, but there was a South African 26-year-old truck driver, Azar Moyer. He had pussy sores all over his body and hmm. where the security branch had taken a red-hot poke from the fire and pushed it into his skin. Mm. So these would swell up and burst. And on, on His knees yeah. were calloused from the amount of time he spent on his knees. Well, when I was finally released, praise God, because of prayer and pressure and protests yeah. uh, outside the Zambian embassy in London and Washington, D.C., and many friends sent hundreds of letters and, and mobilized all kinds of faxes and other complaints back when people used faxes and telegrams <laughs> um, to get me out. That's in 1987. Uh, when I finally was released... I was able to testify of Isaiah Moyer in particular at the International Society of Human Rights Convention in Frankfurt, Germany. And then in London, I spoke on a BBC World Service. And uh, I particularly focused on, on Isaiah. There were about three prisons I focused on. Here's one of them. Uh, because again, as has often been said by the communists, the death of millions is just a statistic. Death of one person is a tragedy, but death of millions is only a statistic. Mm. The trouble is when you speak about the persecuted, it's it's like a faceless mass. But mm. when you start giving names and specific, then it becomes stories. more personal. Yeah. And and then we can relate to it because none of us can really cope with, with millions, but we can all focus mm. on, I can't do everything, but I can do something. What can I do? So I focused them. Well, the story came back from Isaiah later that one of the prison wardens came running with a shortwave radio to the cell, cell 11, where I'd been locked up with him, saying, Isaiah, Isaiah, that South African missionary who was here, he's talking on BBC, he's talking about you. <laughs> and 
Everyone got all excited. I mean, this is, you know, celebrity. Our prison's being mentioned. <laughs> the wardens, the prison's all excited about mm. this. And he heard the last part of my interview, which included giving the postal address. Mm. As I said, they dragged male sacks into his into the cell. And he became the most popular man in the prison. Uh, no more mistreatment by anyone because he has a celebrity now. And he now had enough to give everyone else soap and salt and oh, toothpaste Lord. and, you know, paper and pens and books and Bibles. And, and so he, uh, painkillers, you know, you name it, uh, vitamins. So uh, a whole lot of things have been sent to him as I'd encouraged. And it wasn't too long after that that they let him go. And he was mm. reunited with his wife and two children. And, and, I mean, that's an example of what we bind on earth will be bound, what we loose on earth will be loosed. And God answers prayer, the humble, inadequate prayers of his servants, mm. like of the persistent Buddha, and opens prison doors and sets the captives free. Mm. So that taught me a lot. And it's that many people suffer, not just because of the wickedness of the wicked, but because of the ignorance or passivity or inactivity of the righteous. And it's an exciting thing to know that our letters and phone calls can make a difference. Mm. But it's also a responsibility because then we think, you know, woe is me if I do not do what mm. I can. I can't do everything, but I can do something. And by the grace of God, I must do that. And so we can all do something to speak up for some part of the persecuted church and mobilize some pressure on the persecutors. Mm. And by God's grace, let's see prison doors open. And, and of course, in the history of this mission, we've seen this on large scales, uh, including the fact that Mozambique, which was the most uh, persecuted country, the most atheist mm. country, the least evangelized country in the Southern Hemisphere back in the 1980s. Today's wide open mission field. Mm. Wonderful. Now missionaries are allowed Christian schools. I mean, it's it's a night and day difference from, from the past. Similarly, Angola is now open for the gospel. Mm. South Sudan's a free and independent country, no longer suffering under Islamic Sharia law. So we the whole of Eastern Europe's opened up. Countries mm. that used to be bywords for persecution, like Bulgaria and Romania, mm. now open for the gospel. Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia. Russia is now more Christian than America. Mm. It's, it's an astounding turnabout. So people mustn't say, well, what difference can my prayers make? Well, it can make all the difference in the world. Mm. Amen. And so that's that's our encouragement to you is that you do take this time to pray for those who are suffering, those brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world that are facing these hardships. What are some uh, resources just for those who would like to do a bit more reading on this, a bit more uh, in-depth study? Obviously, you mentioned your books, Faith Under Fire in yes. Sudan and The Killing Fields of Mozambique, and Bill Bathman's books, Going Through and Going On, which uh, mm -hmm. document his ministry uh, to the persecuted church. Uh, throughout his 67 years, but are there some other uh, resources? Yes, well, one of the first books I read in the Persecuted Church, Tortured for Christ by Richard Wormrand. What a powerful book. And it's also available in film form now. And I believe they're just about to bring out a new film just called Sabina. And Sabina is the mm -hmm. wife of Richard Wormrand. She wrote the book, The Pastor's Wife, which is not a terribly exciting title, but it's a very exciting story, mm. a great story. And it just reminds one of, now, for example, uh, Richard Wormbrandt was locked up for 15, for 14 years, and most of it in solitary confront. His wife, Sabina, spent five years as a slave uh, working uh, in the gulags in Romania. Um, and so she was released earlier. And she said, before I went to prison, I was very poor. But after I went to prison, I became very rich. Hmm. Because I was rich in the only currency that matters in prison, the word of God. She had treasured so much of the word of God up in her memory. Hmm. She could make many other people rich. Hmm. And when she was released... Uh, she had a man come to see her and said, I knew your husband in prison and he's given me a message to give to the underground church. Well, 
the chance of having an infiltrator was high. So uh, Sabina was cautious. She said, please, before we go any further, please lead us in prayer. Well, as she bowed her head, there was awkward silence, and the man who claimed to have missed from her husband stuttered and stammered. And Sabina Vormont looked up and said to him, there now, aren't you ashamed of yourself? Wouldn't you like me to explain how you could become a real Christian? And, you know, it's, it's, there's so much for us to learn from the persecuted church. So I'm looking forward to seeing this new film, Sabina, that's come out. Uh, her book is great, The Pastor's Wife. Uh, Brother Andrew's uh, God Smugglers, of course, a classic. But yes, from Bill Bath and going through and going on are just absolutely astounding insights to ministry to the persecuted church. Going through behind the Iron Curtain, Russia in particular, but going on goes in other communist countries, China and all over the place. Uh, tremendous work. Um, my contributions are Faith and Defiance Sudan in the Killing Fields of Mozambique and Holocaust and Rwanda. We've also produced the film Missions to the New Mountains of Sudan, which is available in English, French, and German, which you can freely uh, download and view on, online. And uh, we've helped others produce films like Sudan, Led in the Holocaust, and Terrorism, Persecution, Understanding Islamic Jihad. So these are some films available, but if you go to idop.africa, uh, sorry, idop-africa.org, you will find a lot of links to articles, PowerPoints, websites, and news items, things that you can use, Bible studies, to mobilize your congregation or Sunday school. And on the Frontline Mission SA.org website, there's continually things being added. We've got the ongoing news situation sedan that we dealt with in the previous program. So uh, get in touch with us. If you're not on a main list, contact us, mission at frontline.org.za. We'll put you on the main list and you'll get updates. So there's great resource available. Uh, let's get informed, get into seating, get involved. Mm. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. We do pray hope that you take this Sunday, and not only this Sunday, but uh, continue to put aside time for prayer as your church, as bodies, as the body of Christ, that you would uh, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Good night, and God bless.